Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with my good mate and seriously talented British artist and illustrator, Paul Davis. Tune in as we chat about how he changed his life by giving up alcohol, why he sees art as a form of therapy, and how to know when you have pushed it too far. Hey Paul, we're in Soho in London. Uh, it's nice to be home uh, and it's wonderful to see you again. You too, Vince. Thanks for asking me. I'm very, very happy to be here. Oh, you, you're always been, you're, you're kind of a, a long distance friend, I guess now. And, and I just, every day, kind of, we stay connected via me observing what you're doing. Uh, so I feel like we're connected. We're probably not. <laughs> I think you know? we are. I think that's the, the beauty of how, um, not necessarily social media, but just some sort of connection down the wire, so to speak, is um, it's it's a beneficial thing. Yeah, I think it's uh, it keeps people closer together. Um, whereas before, would we would we be writing letters to each other? You know, I no, don't know. Probably not. <laughs> but you are prolific because I mean, literally every day you're posting new work. Yeah, uh, you've been consistent as well. Like you've just kept producing incredible work and ideas. Samey, <laughs> not samey, but I think no, I don't know. It's I worry about sameness. I must admit, you know, Horizon put something on it. The, some theatrical situation. The you know the ridiculous um, search for the meaning of life and and the the pitfalls and slapstick that us humans are so good at. Yeah, the idiocy and the beauty of being alive. You know, that's what appeals to me. So every morning, and especially because I do suffer from insomnia. So those mornings sense. at some sort of four thirty, even 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 earlier, uh, you know, if I can't go back to sleep, then I sit in the front room, don't turn the telly on because that's just being fed, you know, yeah. and just see what occurs, you know, and um, I have to do it, otherwise I'll go, um, I'll get depressed basically. And I was reading on a website it said Paul finds life preposterous, but still madly beautiful. Yeah, I think I it is. That. I think preposterous is us. I think that the the kind of, without wishing to sound negative, but the cold-heartedness of nature doesn't have self-reflection like we do, like the mm. old argument. You know, we can study how we think, and we don't think animals can, and or plants, or but there's some sort of Gaia-esque thing about this huge thing that we're on. Yeah. Well, in fact, tiny, when you think about it, yeah. relatively, it's tiny. Yeah. Minuscule in this vast universe and that I never ever forget that every day I'm reminded of that incredible almost overwhelming knowledge that we as humans have worked out over the years we've evolved it's only really sort of a million years I suppose arguably a million years but 200,000 years is where you know we've been able to sort of become humans I guess so it's a really tiny amount yeah. of time since this earth was born yeah of you know fire and gravity and all sorts of madness well let's talk about birth let's talk about where you started off uh, to begin with i was born in somerset near bath yeah um 
which um, I can't remember too much about, but then we moved to a different part, and I remember that quite vividly um, when I was really young, so I was about three, I think. Mm -hmm. Then we moved to Falmouth in um, Cornwall for a bit, mm -hmm. and then after that, we moved back to Somerset, uh, me, my my mum and dad, and me and my sister, my younger sister Helen, and grew up near the Mendip Hills, uh, near Cheddar, so uh, Cheddar Gorge. Cheddar Gorge. So that's that's um, that's where I grew up. So all my you know my sort of formative years from five or six or something like that up to when I left, pretty much, um, um, was there, and, and so it was so. bucolic and gorgeous, and you know cider and mushrooms and all that kind of madness that that that's one sweet. does. My relatives are all from Somerset too. Really? So there's Where, a connection there. Whereabouts? Do you know? I don't know. Right. Uh, is it from? Froome, yeah, Froome. maybe. Yeah, Froome's um, very, very cool at the moment. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was, did, was it a creative family? Kind of. My dad, my dad, unfortunately, dropped dead when he was forty-five and I was seventeen, and oh. I, I was very close to my dad. So that's a trauma that you manage for the rest of your life, yeah. I think. And you know, he taught me about the speed of light and planets and gravity and all that. What did he, he do? He was a working-class boy from uh, South Bristol, from yeah. Knoll. And my mum was a working class girl from the same road. Aww. And they fell in love, which is gorgeous. Oh, when they were kids? Teens, I think. My dad oh, had a motorbike. He had a Panther uh, 600, I think it was, 650 yeah. maybe. Single cylinder. So he was cool. And um, Sounds he, like my dad. He was like that. Was he? Yeah. What did he, so he, he was Triumph a, Tiger, I think he had. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very Down nice. Brighton. Very cool. In the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a rocker. Things were cooler back then, were they? I think. I think Probably we harder. knew less than we do now, or we're bom we were bombarded less. Yeah. I think you know, yeah. and so there were moments where silence and not having a telephone didn't matter. But now, yeah. any silence, or it seems to me anyway. Yeah. If anyone walks out of a room, the person left in the room picks up their phone. Yeah. I go by bus stops and see every single person waiting for the bus head down at yep. their phone. It's just a crazy time. But then you have to think about what are they looking at? If they're looking Hopefully at your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> nah, there's not, I haven't got enough followers. Christ, that would be a sort of couple of buses. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's um, maybe a fleet. <laughs> I think, because um, I look at, I can't help it because I'm nosy, and I walk down the tube carriage and people are on their phones and st uh, almost, I would say, some people are doing Candy Crush. Some people are reading the newspaper. Some people are watching telly or mm. a film with mm -hmm. headphones. And some people are just swiping. Yeah. I don't know what they're swiping because they're too quick. And just, that's it. Yeah. You know, or maybe listening to something that you do, you know, a similar thing, yeah, a podcast yeah. or something. Yeah. But people are on their phones more than not yep. on public transport. It's an opportunity for you to self-publish, though, isn't it, which is interesting. But let's let's come back to that because let's talk. How did you get from Somerset to, to London, and 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 or did you go to design? How were you at school? Uh, I didn't really didn't like school. I went to a big comprehensive school. Could uh, do I, better. I was fearful all the time, fighting, um, terrified of relationships. You know, because I, I fell in love all the time, mm. and it was. I thought that I fell in love more profoundly than anybody else did. My love was serious, yeah. you know, and all that to complete ego mania, yeah. and. Um, 
So I didn't do particularly well at school. I scraped through, managed to get into a tech, Western Tech, to do a foundation, foundation, and then went down to Exeter to do a degree in graphic design illustration. Oh, wow. And then left and moved to London. And um, what did you What did, did you decide on? Did you, did you do graphic design or did you do illustration? I did illustration. After the first year, you have to choose, and I nearly did photography. Um, it was a real toss-up between photography and illustration. And then I said to the people, my lecturers, after the first year, I want to do fine art. And they argued against it, and I still don't really understand why I didn't jump ship, because oh, I think yeah. I should have. Um, in many ways, the way that I'm free thinking and, yeah. and all that I find some not so much now because I'm sort of grown up and I understand that it has to sort of tell a story or communicate and I think as, as does art but you know I've always struggled with that always and um, that's why I do my own stuff I have to yeah again or, or I'll get down and um, it know. kind of for me observing it looks like all of it's your own stuff even though it's yeah can be commercial you you manage to just do what you do yeah i do get a terrible feeling sometimes when um i'm being over art directed you know the art the art director's doing his or her job and they're um obviously taking orders from the client especially yeah. in design especially in advertising really yeah um and that can be that really gives me a terrible feeling in my stomach it, it's just one of those feelings that you have to be honest about. Mm. Um, but these days, if, <laughs> you know, I'm really professional, Vince. <laughs> How did it manifest itself before getting a sore stomach? Did you like sulk or did you say, I'm not going to do it previously? Um, no, I do it. I do it with sort of resentment. And um, I'd never, I don't think resentment showed in the work. I, you know, basically I do what I was told. And maybe that, maybe I have a problem with authority. Yeah. Maybe that's it. So you've have you, you came to London, and you just started doing your own thing. Yeah, I went to publishers and magazines, and there was a place around the corner, National Magazine House. I went to see all yeah. the magazines there, and so you actually go in per, in person with a yeah. load of drawings, um, and I didn't get anything for a long time, and continued to do my own work. I look back on it now and cringe slightly, but since then, why? Why do you cringe? Because I think some of some of it was all very experimental and um, didn't communicate anything. Really. Was it very different to your work now? Yeah, well, kind of. I've I've got this sort of looking back and up to right now. The work that I do is is all over the shop, really. I mean, the meaning of what I'm trying to say is fairly consistent, but the actual application of media to make that somehow makes sense yeah. is um I'm, i have very um inquisitive mind so wonder what wonder how that would look yeah wonder what that material and that material look like on quite a sm small scale mostly yeah. if i'm given a big space then i'll act accordingly but um so looking back on my earlier work it the drawings bear a relation to what i'm doing now but uh, you know i was doing sort of financial collages and stuff like that mm-hmm Crazy. I think I remember that actually. Were you were you busy? Did you get plenty of work from the from the start? Not really. It took a while, and then um, I started doing drawings. Kind of, I always had this, you know, notebook drawings and overheards and stuff like that, and um, that's what seemed to appeal more than anything. Mm. Um, 
and sort of willfully abstracted um, sort of poetical statements which no one bought and I don't blame them but I think that's the kind of that's the kind of bedrock through my work is drawings about human life and yeah. um, and all that and that style of work no matter what the sentiment was that style of line work seemed to get me quite a bit of work yeah. but then I get sort of interested in some other way of working so looking back on my work it's all over the shop it really is but you are you are a London icon uh, in terms of your, your work and I know when you came to Sydney not long after I moved there in 2003 you did an exhibition there which I luckily got to do the little book for, yes for dishonest Jewish wasn't it, it was yeah dishonest that was super cool um, I love there was a there was a quote uh, on a video you mentioned you said that you were you, you talk about obs observing people you know and I think that's super cool and you overheard someone one day say my feelings for you have nothing to do with you yeah and I think that is you know we talked about love before but that kind of is this profound isn't it it really is you single that out and actually make yeah. note, note of that and how important that is it really happened you. as well just up the road on Oxford Street I was drunk waiting for a night bus and these people this couple man and woman were having a row and he said something and I couldn't hear they were just down a bit you know like five six yards away and then she sort of screamed at him quite bitterly my feelings for you have nothing to do with you <laughs> and that sobered me up, you know. Yeah. I thought that was one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And then about a week later, or a week before, I can't remember the order. Am I allowed to swear on, on this? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, we we can't do an same, interview. I think it was don't. the same, yeah. <laughs> Fuck for that. <laughs> I think there was, there was a... Um, I think it was almost... The, I think it was the same bus stop, if not just one, one up or one down. Again, after a big night out, another couple were, were arguing... And um, I couldn't hear what they were saying until the guy said, fuck off, of course I love you. Aww. So what she said to him, I don't know what conversation they had before, but I thought that statement was um, was not quite as profound as my feelings for you have nothing to do with you, but I normally sort of show it as a diptych. Yeah. I think because it was almost the same bus stop. It's fantastic. Another one I, I, I saw said, stop eating with your mouth open, you little shit. Yeah. <laughs> what would you see to think of that? I just, uh, a lot of people I've met in therapy have a problem with, with oral, sa oral mastication. Mm -hmm. And there was one guy I got to know in um, early recovery, and he couldn't, he'd have, to, he'd have to leave a meeting or leave a, a room full of people having therapy and stuff like that if anyone made a noise with their mouths. Cause it, it really freaks him out. He couldn't work mm -hmm. out where it's from. Wow, and I I got really sort of interested in that, um, and looked around. And a lot of people do that, and I just you know this is my sort of I wouldn't say it was well, cynicism. How else can you eat? Yeah, but the noise. Or some the, people the, eat quite the big noise, really big noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that um, irritating. Yeah, he found it. You know, he couldn't be in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> he fled. The so room. What, what is it about you that you kind of capture this stuff that probably people don't even think twice about because it's magic that you do and how you portray that you know how you draw that is just fantastic well i think it's just it's humans again it's it's just that you know animals can't help it plants can't help it rocks move about and plate tectonics and we spin around this our axis and around the sun and we're in this galaxy and we're never in the same position we're moving we're basically moving through space at a million miles an hour i think 
I think it's for between 500,000 and a million miles an hour, never in the same space because everything's moving. We eventually come round after, I don't know, is it a quarter of a million years? Do we have to fact check this? this no, I think I'm right. Okay. In the, the kind of axis of our double helix, you know, galaxy. I think it's something like that. Anyway, um, so I think about that. And then you see sort of two people with their fists out of the car window shouting at each other you know because <laughs> one of them thinks he's not as much as a wanker as the other one you know because he, he perceived his right of way was more important than the other ones and you know and thus wars have started yeah and it's terrifying so you're always putting life into context you're just always thinking about the bigger picture of the planet I hurtling think, through space i think that's where my sense of absurdity comes from yeah is that really early on is knowing about the vastness of everything and how little we are and yeah. how a mate of mine said to me i asked him about nihilism or he's reading a book about nihilism i said you're reading a book it's a book about nihilism and he said don't forget there's good nihilism and there's bad nihilism so what he, what he meant i think was you know putin is a bad nihilist he's you know a, a sort of depressing person mm. Whereas someone who, you know, someone like Beckett or someone like that is much more, he understands it's pointless, but why not have a, as much as a good time and as much entertaining and, and humorous time as possible on this planet, which is what I try and do. Yeah. But then I'm reminded about what it is to be, you know, the, that sort of basic human. I do it myself. I'm not, I'm, I'm no way am I an elitist or above any of that sort of behavior. But that's what appeals to me is the hilarity of the fallibility of the human. And what stopped you from being a stand-up then? Is it do you, you can only express it? Nerves. <laughs> Nerves. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried it? No. Oh, oh. I reckon you'd be good at it. Um, so what's your life look like? I mean, what what do you? What's your day like? Are you working at home all the time? No, I get up and do do my insomnia-based drawings, and then <laughs> and then um, and then you get that terrible depression of you post something and then no one likes it. You think, fuck, oh, what's the point? You know. What at three in the morning? But uh, no, later you, want you international see, you, you guys, see yeah. the um, you see the uh, the likes hardly growing over the morning, and you know, so you're addicted to that. Everyone is, yeah. I think everyone, whether it's you know justifying your existence or whether it's more of a professional thing, I don't fuck knows. It's just there and people use it. And plus, I sell stuff on it, so mm, yeah, I yeah. make more money out of that than pretty much anything else. It wow. seems. Um, By the way, I think I owe you ninety pounds. No, you don't. You paid. Did I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Oh, I, I thought you I did. did. Um, um, yeah, 90 but quid, I mean, that's pretty cheap, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. Brilliant drawing. Yeah, beautiful <laughs> drawing, beautifully packaged when it's arrived. Guys, get online and buy his work. It's incredible. <laughs> um, what, what about, does you ever get censored online? Uh, I got censored in shows. I did a show in um, the old Woolworth building in New York, and um, it's a really nice sort of floor of, of that building, so it's you know iconic building. And there are lots of fake adverts and lots of, um, you know, the usual post-it note stuff as well, and you know, um, doodles and. But I did a load of drawings of people having sex from porn mags, but erased their genitals. Yeah. And uh, I was waiting for it was like half an hour before the show opened, and I knew I was doing quite a bit of work in New York at the time, so I got to know a lot of people, and they were all coming, and you know, I was drinking a lot, so there was beer sponsorship and all that sort of yeah. stuff nervous but looking forward to it and then the 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 owner of that floor came around i hadn't met him before and he came around and he looked at the drawings of people having sex but 
you couldn't see what was going on because I'd erased all the yeah. genitalia and breasts and you know and, you know just but you knew what was going on by their facial expressions and where their bodies were positioned and he said that I'd have to go down to Staples and censor them <laughs> with what post a note <laughs> with um with you know some sort of star or something wow. like that and these are all in clear fronted plastic bags so I ah. I was okay with that I just okay. thought all right I said why why do you want me to um censor stuff that's not that's it's already not censored he said yeah. you know what i mean and i said I, I don't i really don't and then we had this conversation about you know it's not my fault i'm not a baptist because he was a big baptist ah. so that, that that got into a slightly ugly situation about religion and i'm not a great fan of so anyway went to staples and got these gold stars big gold stars like two inches across and put them on the front of the bags where the genitalia wasn't <laughs> and um, the people t the people turned up and said what's going on behind what's going on behind yeah there? they're intrigued so i just pulled with about a4 these drawings i just from the top of the paper that was sticking out the top of the clear fronted bag just pull it up and there was nothing there and they were really shocked they yeah. were more shocked that nothing was there yeah yeah well, it's a form of collaboration with this guy then, isn't it? I think... Because you've actually took it to another level. I've, his I've forgotten his name. I, yeah, I need to thank him. It was a Brad. It was a God thing. Wow. How do you know when you've pushed it too far? Because you do, you do, you look at your work and you go, oof. Other people, really. Should I like that or not? Other people, <laughs> you know, well, own the space or, or, you know, publish the mag. You know, it's, um, I've, I've, I'm, and that, and those kind of drawings were, um, where nothing was happening, the non-pornographic porn drawings. Yeah, they were also um, censored in Japan as well. Really? Yeah. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, you know. really weird. I knew I was onto something as a kind of self-censorship, but you yeah, know, you could tell by the sort of weird facial expressions, which again is human. You know, it's why we're here is because of that face. Yeah. You know, the orgasmic face. I mean, your your obviously your illustrations would be exaggerated. Uh, a little bit, you know. but you don't need. To, if you look at if you look at some dodgy porn, you know it's um, never. They do. <laughs> yeah, no, no one, no one apart from me has looked at the porn. <laughs> Is know. that what you do at three in the morning? No, no, God okay. no. Right. Um, many years ago, maybe, but not, not, <laughs> not now. <laughs> but it's like um, I find that interesting that you know we're all from some sort of weird facial expression. Yeah, I mean, I guess life. Is your what is it palette or or life is what feeds you the inspiration or people I guess more importantly is the yes observations of people and it's done lovingly it's not I'm I'm I used to think I was a cynic and going back on my looking back on my drawings when I was drinking heavily they were they were cynical and lazy a lot of them you could tell whereas satire is hard work and you got to mm. be really careful and there's a big gap between the two i think yeah. and satire we need satire even though reality seems to be yeah. kicking satire out because reality itself is you couldn't really make it up you know yeah but um i think that's what i've learned in sobriety is um you've got to work hard at you can't just sort of be a poet and willy-nilly write it down and that that's my oeuvre you know you've got to be careful but i think as as far as censorship is concerned um, I think R Ricky Gervais, as much as people love and hate him, I think that he says interesting things about, you know, it's about the people who are making the offensive joke. He's joking at them. Yeah. He's not making a joke about 
you know, any like subgroup of humanity or yeah. something, for, for want of a better word. He's actually laughing at the people who think that people are different and trying to other people. Well, there is times when I, you know, I watch one of his shows or stand up and I go, oof, that was close. And I, and I have that sometimes the same feeling when I look at some of your work. Yeah. That I go, oof, that's, you know. Yeah. Uh, always clever. And, and, uh, but it's like sometimes, I guess it's like, uh, would everything have to be so politically correct these days? It's re does, it, does it make it harder for you? Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because I, I was talking to Soph, my girlfriend, Mrs. Partner. I don't know, if, yeah. I don't know what's a, you know, my very significant other. Yeah. And she, I said, I what do you think I about think this? I think you've covered the, all the titles said, relating to her. I said, Soph, what do you think about this idea? How about in drawings, make the most offensive, the most offensive humor with all the groups of humanity that you're not supposed to make fun of? You know, absolute, do not. Um, no holds barred, you know, just really every offensive comment you can make about a culture or a sexuality or anything like yeah. that, you know, just re be so brutal and so disgusting about it. There's Historically, there, there have been jokes about those people and myself included, you know, I've been called a cracker and I'm, it's all right, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not offended by it. I'm What's not a cracker? white guy you know so oh, it's okay. a sort of equivalent i'm a cracker then yeah and you know with sight with anger as well and i you know i thought fucking hell you know that's fair enough so what did Soph say she said well what kind of thing are you talking about and i she said she must be a very tolerant woman no she she's <laughs> intelligent enough to know that it's an experiment in offensiveness but the offensive offensiveness is based on historical othering of other people so all this, all the kind of, you know, terrible um, jibes and insults towards a particular group of people. Yeah. It's not made up these days. It's been there since yeah, time yeah, began. Yeah. You know, it's a sort of cultural, it's a, it's a um, clan thing. You know, if you go to Italy, for example, this is a very mild excuse. You go to go to Italy and you and they you go out for dinner one night and then they say what you know where where were you where were you last night? You said just the village up the road what did you have to eat and you say i just had spaghetti you know with pomodoro or something like that and they go yeah it's not very good there is it you know so there's immediately they're saying that the village next doesn't make the spaghetti yeah. like it should so if you times that by a million and talk about religion races um country people where borders have changed all those things that we have to deal with i think it would be interesting to actually embrace the terrible insults that people give because some and also you have to think about certain groups of people have different insults for other groups of people and a, another group yeah, of people yeah. aiming at the same group would have a different sort of insult yeah so i find that fascinating when we're supposed to be sort of you know everyone really would love it if we all got on <laughs> we, seem, <laughs> we seem incapable so i think a, the most offensive cartoons might I be funny is. is that just like uh, protecting our own tribe don't know. I really, I dread to think. Or feeling threatened by others, perhaps. I don't know. It's that fight. But it is funny. I mean, I have freeze, to say, it is it? incredibly funny. A lot of it, though, isn't it? Like, it is. It's like watching Little Britain. Like you, that you wouldn't be able to put that show on today. Like in a very short period of time, that's become incredibly offensive. Yeah. I mean, it probably always was, but yeah, one of the best, you know, most popular TV shows out of the UK for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's um no, you're right. Is I mean some of, some of it's hilarious. I mean some of it's so offensive and so funny. But it doesn't seem to be. I'm not sure if it's aimed at anything. But what I would like to do. Well, no, I probably won't because it will be so offensive and I'll get you know. More more gold it. stickers. Well, maybe no one will care. I don't know. But yes, it, it's similar. But just you know, really terrible traditional insults towards somebody else. That Give could, it a go. And then, but because I know I'm doing it, then I'm not the, I'm not the person making up these insults. I'm just showing no. people where those insults. Well, it might be a terrible idea, Vince. I might not do that at all. But what you didn't say? What Sophie? Is it Sophie? What she yeah. said? Did she say she do said it I'm, at your I'm own not, risk? She said I'm not sure about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. It gave me a funny look, as if you know. Did she say, "Can you show me an example?" Or what no, I, no. Does she find? Does she love your work? Does she think she it's does. funny? Yes, yes. Has she got the same kind of? <laughs> I was going to say, you know, mind for, for that. Just, Definitely. Just, yeah. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I couldn't so, be with anyone, you know. Nor could she. <laughs> what does she do? She works for. Um, a woman UN, who, no. Yeah, yeah, quite, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anti-racistly. Yeah, can you imagine? She works for a person in Chelsea who is a patron of the arts. It's a, it's a kind of all-encompassing way. She's very interesting, brilliant. Wow, wow. But they have a great relationship and they do stuff. We talked recently about, well, it's been quite some time now. Uh, you mentioned, God, I think when I was living here, uh, that you were struggling with booze. Yeah. Uh, I went through that phase for a long time too and kind of haven't drank for like, I don't know, it's 12, 13 years now. Good for you. And you have, you call it sobriety. I never use that word, but it's a very English word. Um, yeah, it's because of AA really. And, you know, I, I got sober. Be yeah, in, I, I can't stand anything that's um, based on faith. Mm -hmm. I got a real problem with it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned AA, that before, by the way. Yes. AA is. Um, seven of the 12 steps that you go through however helpful some of them are I, you know one, one of the reasons i kept drinking even though i went to aa to try and stop drinking was because of aa ironically enough oh. i'm writing a book about it wow about how to it's called uh, how not to be a drunk and uh i've um i've written it and now i'm going to start sending out synopsis well let's let's come back to that let's talk about like have you been drinking were you drinking your whole life? Yeah, growing up, early age. growing up, wine at the table, you know, half wine, half water. Yeah. Going to see my nan. What, like age two or something or what? Yeah, yeah. No, about five or six. I mean, we just, we were just given it, you know. And I was quite hyperactive, so I think it was medicinal. Well, some parents did that. A lot of Italians do that just to, and then becomes, the kids don't become alcoholics as a result. But they, yeah. They're less in inclined to binge drink after that, but. I think it depends on the character of you know a lot of people blame addiction on trauma or you know they say oh well my dad was a drinker my mum was a drinker my great uncle was a drinker stuff like that they say it's genetic i don't believe that it's passed down i think certain genetic code can be passed down a propensity towards sensitivity or mm -hmm. and that mismanaged can turn into alcoholism mm -hmm. almost by luck in a way as well you know you just start drinking a lot you're a bit sensitive. I was very sensitive as a kid. I was scared of the immensity of everything. And mm -hmm. when I discovered how fast the planet was flying around, yeah, why don't we spin off? And you know, <laughs> but, but the spinning top things spin off. But why not our planet? Yeah, oh, that's mass and gravity. What? I'll you have know. a glass of wine. Yeah, and also, 
you know, it was cider country, so there was a lot of cider around. I grew up between three cider farms. So Not Strongbow. No. Thatcher's does that still exist? Enough. Strongbow does, yeah. Oh. Thatcher's, Lukey's, and was it Shepherd's? I can't remember. I remember being incredibly sick from drinking cider. It was the worst feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Tequila was mine. Tequila was my worst ever hangover. So, so did you? It became quite a problem for you. Was it was it a long time that you were well before, in that situation? Yeah, you know, uh, art college drinking at drinking at lunchtime, um, cheap beer and all that. Um, but that's before I went. That's my foundation in Western Superman. And then down in Exeter, it was drinking and drugs and you know. Before that, in fact, because uh, I was quite tall when I was fourteen, fifteen, used to get to pubs country pubs yeah and then bristol was brilliant it was just up the road and um the dugout was a club i used to go to which is you know all the kind of bristol bands used to go to and that was heaven on earth for me so lots of speed and lots of drink and did you crashing headaches did you become someone else did it give you confidence it gave me confidence yeah it gave me the ability not to feel nervous which you know the more research i've done the more therapy i've done that sort of shyness is ego which is you know, oh. which was really, really an eye opener for me. How, how, in what way? You think everyone's looking at you, and they're not. Is that ego? Yeah, it's self-indulgent. As far as that's I how that, I felt. I I was painfully shy. Yeah. And that from I didn't put to I never put ego to that. I was just like, what's wrong with me? I think that um, you your shyness might be different to mine. There are different forms of shyness. Mine was. Um, you know, I don't fit in. I feel like an outlier. I feel um, ostracized. I don't, you know, playing football, I was great because it's team and you concentrate and you, no other thoughts get in the way, mm. really. Yeah. You've got, you got to play. And I always played football until I was too old to do it. Um, but I, one thing I've learned, which really resonated with me, was that my shyness, my particular form of shyness, and I think a lot of fellow addicts would agree, is that it's um, that need to either have a partner, you know, especially adolescents when you're when your yeah. hormones are going mental, you know, yeah. so you're really on edge all the time anyway. And uh, I couldn't really. I was so self-indulgent, so that's ego. My shyness was internal and brutal and full of resentment and full of um, jealousy and envy and all that. It wasn't pleasant. So drink got rid of that. I was able to sort of be more communicative with other people who were mm -hmm. also in the pub, underage. And how did it affect your art? It, I don't think it did very well to me. I don't, I don't, I, th I regret all that to be honest. I don't, there's nothing I can do to change it, but um, I really, I regret that I fell into drink and drugs so quickly um, for such a long time. It was all manageable. I, man I always hit deadlines, and you yeah. know, people seemed to be pleased with the work. But a lot of the time, I was, you know, I, just, I ended up in isolation, just drinking out of the bottle, really. And Did you have big lows? Yeah, one gigantic one. For Are you okay life. talking about this? Yeah, fine. Okay, fine. It's been near. It's I'm in my seventh year, so you know, it's it's um it's oh, manageable. Oh, well done. I don't think um, I can't imagine drinking again. How did it lead to kind of realizing that it was a problem? Because a lot of people don't realize. Until uh, well, a few, uh, a few choice comments from my mates, you know, and that was battened away. 
because you know that's what alcoholics do. Mm-hmm. Just uh, and alcohol, was, I wasn't really a drug addict. I tried everything, mm-hmm. um, but booze was was the the kind of main was my and and I think you know codependency crops up and people pleasing. That's another one. You know, love me, love me, and all that. And I think that, and that that's ego as well. Was Sophie on the scene then? Yeah, she was brilliant because wow. she kind of understood it. She understands all that. She's how, um, how long you guys been together? Ten years. Wow. So she's been she you know she she was I couldn't have done it without her. I don't was think. it was it that you found kind of true love that you're looking for? You know, you said earlier on you fell in love with everybody. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, but was it? Did you feel that that meeting someone who you really valued it, it changed how you dealt with your life? No, I I don't think anyone could have done that. I was I was li- lying. I didn't. I've never cheated, but I was a lying. Well, I have done with other people, but not with Sophie, mm-hmm. um, which I'm glad about. But I lied about my intake and I hid bottles, and I didn't mm-hmm. even know I was hiding them. I was so drunk half the time. Jeez. So when when we cleared the flat out to move, there's all these bottles. I can't remember putting them there, you know. Wow. And that really told a story. So your body's in this constant state of repair, like yeah. that, and constantly in a hangover mode. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that really first, uh, that really kind of weighed on you, me personally, when I was doing that was, you had to, you had to get up the next day and deliver. You had to get out and do your job and you know look after kids or whatever. Yes, you have. Ki- I don't have any kids, so I don't know how parents do it. You know, hats off. It's incredible, really. Um, I but got away lightly, it seems. No, but it's 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 every individual has their different um, things that are going on in their life. I think but you but get to a certain stage where you can't stop. Because uh, if you were to stop, you'd die. That's how it felt for the last five years of my drinking. Mm. I really felt if I didn't have a drink ready, available at arm's length or just up the road. And, you know, when you run out of money, because money went up and down, as it st- yeah. still does, you know. I don't own anywhere. I have no assets. And I'm fine with it. It's the way yeah. it is. But there is that sort of fear of, where it becomes a medicine it's not enjoyable anymore it's just you need the alcohol yeah to be able to get through the day yeah and it's and it's absolutely it's everywhere i mean in our industry every function yeah you know pubs open at 11 yeah or earlier sometimes airports people are drinking love you know, pints of beer yeah. at 8 a.m or earlier i, I used um, to get to airports early <laughs> <laughs> did you yeah hang on your flight's not till this evening mr till tomorrow Davis. <laughs> have you ever been refused kind of access to the plane nearly like, oh, yeah. in naples nearly yeah or, or have you spent the whole flight in the toilet no no i've been all right i've been um you're a functioning get, yeah because i mean if if you're not allowed on the airport on the air on the airplane and you know it's going to totally fuck your day yeah because you need to get to get through duty free to get you know the hard liquor to get on the plane to get home and then you can isolate and just think about your trip abroad and think about how mm-hmm. things are with you know god knows how many bottles of vodka yeah it's a terrible way of being i mean this issue is i'm glad we can talk about it because we have that in common which is um you know i think it's not uncommon i mean it's there's no alcohol ban it's not like drugs it's illegal um, it makes a fortune yeah and mm. and it is a mega problem globally yeah. you know, for people. It really fucks up lives. In this country, um, it costs the NHS, they estimate, the last few years they, they estimate, and I think this is 
just before, actually before lockdown. So lockdown might have put the put the, the numbers up, but it cost the NHS something like um, three billion a year to treat addiction problems, mostly alcohol. Mm -hmm. But it makes the treasury eleven billion, so you know it's wow. a win situation for you know capital capitalism basically. And if it was invented now, would it you know would alcohol be allowed? I don't think so. No, it's pretty. And and what happened? What was the turning point for you then? Like what made you go to AA or just or I went to focus AA on stopping. I went to AA on and off for a long time before I actually got sober. But it's just something happened in my head where I just this is it. This is really it. Mm. You know, it's not it's not a case of um, oh I'm going to take it easy for you know be a responsible drinker. I did all that. I went to Hackney bloody you know. Um, Alcohol Awareness Centre in Mayor Street, and you know, there's people throwing up outside, and it was, just, it was really rough. But you know, I feel for them because I know what it's like, and uh, I, I am that person. And so I tried responsible drinking, lied in my diary how much I was drinking because you've got to keep a diary to for yourself. Them. Yeah, to everyone. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Something just happened. Sophie Dear left diary, me. Dear Hick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sophie left me and said. Get your shit together. It's okay. you, you are behaving, you know. There's a certain sort of twattishness about being a drunk as well, because you, you think you're not, even though you do yeah. know. You try and exude this sort of, oh, I just like a few drinks. You think this is silly. Mm. And really, you're desperately sad and broken and all that. So she left. And then uh, I had some, um, I must say, I had some money because my mum died, bless her. It's a really she died with mesothelioma which is a not a pleasant way mm. to go so we sold a little cottage me and my sister sold a little cottage she borrowed some money off of it so it wasn't as much as we as we thought but it's mm. her cottage do what she likes and uh so i used that money to try and stop drinking if you see what i mean yeah. just like right go to therapy and all that yeah I, it just didn't i couldn't do it and um so left and i remember calling her and just saying um, I'm going to go into rehab. Can you help me book somewhere? Um, this is it. This is serious now. And have the flat for a month. I'm going to go away for a month and sort it out. And this was September 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. She said, I wondered how you were. It's been, you know, a few days. And I said, how long? She said, five, six days. And I said, Jesus, I thought it was like two days ago. So I lost wow. in blackout four or five days, you know, three or four days. And that was scary. So... The next day I was in rehab and haven't touched a drop since. Fantastic. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been easy. No, it's it was uh it's um people think that rehab centers are like some sort of country clubs, they're not, they're hospitals and yeah. it's, it's scary and horrible. And the guilt is a shame really. I think it's just like what you know, God I'm all that time I wasted. I know friends of mine in Australia that, that um, haven't been drinking for 20, 25 years and every single day they go to AA. Yeah. And that's phenomenal, just that. See, yeah, I didn't want that on me. Check, you know? I, did, I didn't want that on me. I, I don't like the, the, the kind of higher power stuff and mm -hmm. giving over your will to God. I mean, it just doesn't sit well with me, all that. Mm. So there's a way of doing it, I think, um, which is what I try and explain in the book, is, is um, how to not worry about drinking 
and you don't have to remind yourself that you're never going to drink again. Do you know? So AA does remind you all mm-hmm. the time. I don't yeah. want that. I just just let it go. Man. Yeah, once you don't have to give it over to God. No, once you um. I remember, like early on, I, I stopped for three years, and then I started again. Someone just said to me, "Hey, I'll go on, have one. It's not gonna make any difference. It's you know, you'll be really? fine." And I, I don't know why, but I just did it. I was Very feeling, common, yeah. I was feeling, I was lacking in confidence at that time, and then it just started all over again. Um, but yeah, the when I finally stopped, I mean, you're just inundated by people saying, "Well, have a drink, have a drink," you know, or "Why aren't you drinking?" Yeah. It's like if you're vegan or vegetarian, people say, well, oh, have some meat. Why do you eat meat? Yeah, and plus if you're known that you used to. But once you get over that thing where people go, they don't care and they don't say anymore. Or if they do, it doesn't even doesn't affect me anymore. Yeah. But um, but the how do you feel? I mean, you must feel great. It's um, generally speaking, it's an improvement, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's the ability through sobriety, uh, your favorite word, yeah. Through not drinking, it's um, things are clearer. They're just as scary, but there's a sort of management that I'm uh, almost like a mental mantra that I can do in my head that mm-hmm. I picked up with therapy mm-hmm. and research and how the addiction center works in people's heads, especially in addicts, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the reward system and all that, you know, the way that the brain chemistry and f- physiognomy work. Um, or in our case doesn't work properly all that gives me great knowledge and being able to know that if something is happening that is a bit scary life itself you know everyone has yeah. these problems I don't need to as I always did go to the pub go to the off license or worse just drink at home on my own and yeah. watch pornography and then watch rom-com you know yeah sad existence you know uh, lonely so you know tense pornography and then guilt for watching pornography and feeling so sad rom-com cry out cry your eyes out oh my god i feel so terrible this is my life oh i'll have another drink i'll be all right if i have another drink so it's that and then do a drawing you know and the drawings i've kept some of this so bad are they yeah really self-pitying and horrifying but to answer your question very succinctly it's a million times better and um I'm much more honest about everything, and um, I'm not as scared. I think it's the right word. I'm not as worried, not as anxious as I used to be. It's it's interesting that like the reasons for drinking to give you the confidence or to escape from the all the what's going on. You when you when you don't do that when you stop doing that those feelings still remain those feelings of you know i used to get incredibly anxious going out socially yeah because that i'd I'd drink quickly a few drinks just to or do a talk i'd I'd knock back a couple vodkas you know just to kind of give me confidence me too yeah and without that i was actually um, petrified yeah uh in those situations but there's something in like i don't know i was i didn't have any specific coaching but i kind of learned to live with it or accept it and acknowledge that this is a feeling that hopefully will pass and it and it did and so they became kind of become stronger at being in super uncomfortable situations that i was i guess drinking to numb that um and then to be able to just be in those situations i i i went from being incredibly shy and kind of i guess fearful of people Mm. uh 
and fearful, I guess, of people that are that you look up to or whatever that you're you're not good enough, perhaps. Absolutely, and, yeah, and, yeah. And that I still feel that I still feel, but, I honestly still feel that. But I, I think through doing my podcast, I've done 125 now with you. Um, I've come to the conclusion and the feeling, which is really amazing feeling, is that we're all human beings just trying to do our best. Exactly. Yeah. And that is. That was wonderful to feel that, yeah. as opposed to you know you're lower down, that, yeah. you know you don't know enough or you're you know whatever. But I think nobody really knows. Ultimately, it feels like every, you're the first person to have a kid or a relationship or you yeah, know, run a business or whatever it might be, um, and we're all just trying to trying our best to make it work. I think it sums it up brilliantly, Vince. I, 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 it's that lack of that fraughtness that sort of follows you through certainly followed me through a day just a day of fear and worry and I, I haven't had a panic attack since I've been sober oh wow so that was obviously drink related yeah um, because it affects your brain it affects every organ in your system but the that, that kind of um, what do they call it um, syndrome when you're um, you don't you know you have imposter syndrome yeah imposter sim syndrome so you have a massive ego and low self worth and that cliche yeah. it's a cliche because it's true I had a big big you know i still do have a healthy ego yeah uh sober ego whereas before it was full of horrifying you know guilt and envy and and all that you know it's a really poisonous mix and because of, be, because of that then i drank too much then it gets worse you know it's a self-perpetuating well that that illness. imposter syndrome thing is, is interesting we, when you talk about like you for example is that your work is so personal and it's signed by you and it's out there and it's highly visible. Mm. Like, I guess you're not hiding behind a brand or a business, you're, it's you, it's often on a, in a notebook and a, a scrap of paper, but it's, it's your statement, observation, and how you illustrate that. It's kind of, it's, it's not illustration, you know, it's, it's art and it's so, it's, well, we could talk about that, but it, it feels <laughs> more towards art and is therefore highly personal. Yeah. And I guess it's there for the world to see, whether you like it or not. And I guess by expo by, by putting yourself kind of front and center like that, you're open to feeling that, is it good enough? That's all, I mean, that's an existential, you know, that, I could talk about that for days. I mean, what does it all well, mean? just five and, minutes, maybe. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How do I sum that up? My life's work. <laughs> and the feeling Okay. And the feeling of it being an imposter at the same time. We'll have to do part two then. I think it comes down to looking because I've been looking back on work because I've built a shed in the you know I've seen that, it looks cool. Yeah. Well that shed was there when we when we rented the when we weren't allowed to look at the flat because it was a rental in Muswell Hill, leafy Muswell Hill. It's gorgeous, you know. And uh I said it's a bit pricey for this, you know, for this size. And the landlord for this said, size, you sound a bit size. Somerset accent. Right, right. Yeah, slips in. Yeah, and uh, he said, "Come down, come down into the back garden." Down, it was sort of downstairs. Had this because we're on the first floor. There's a basement. They've got mm -hmm. this nice garden with a shed of, them, of their own. But there's a little walkway that goes to the left, and at the back of their garden, there's a fence, and there's another bit of the garden, oh. and that's where the shed is. Two sheds, one for Soph and one for me. Wow. And there's a dilapidated shed full of garden stuff. And I built another shed because I was fed up with spending 250 quid a month. There wasn't enough room. 
because I, so I got my, I got a, you know, self, sofa's away for a few days, so I got a shed kit and put the foundations down and built the shed on my own. Jesus. And then um, sealed it with like expanding foam. And then also um, um, polythene and, and sealed it on the floor as well. But it was enough air so it wouldn't get condensation too much. Or suffocate. And that's, yeah. <laughs> and that's where I keep the bodies. <laughs> now that's where, that's where all my archives are. So I've been going through ah. them. And, you know, archives, how arrogant yeah, yeah, yeah. is that? You know, is, it, is there any need for them? I don't know. Oh, but that brings a lot of memories back. Well, as, and back to the point of the imposter thing, I look at sort of old work and I, and I cringe. I do. Really? Yeah, yeah. But you still keep it? Yeah, yeah, that's the ego. Do you sell, do you sell a lot of that? Well, I haven't Your really archive? tried because, you know, there's a, there is that process where, you, you know, well, I did a book with John Ellery, you know, he, he came around and he said, what have you got to show me? We'll do this book. And, and I said, well, I've got this, I've gone through all the work. I've got this stack that's about, you know, a foot high mm -hmm. on the big table in the middle of the old studio. And he came in, he goes, here's 20 quid, go out for lunch and come back in two hours. I went, why? He said, because I'm going to edit this. So I went out for lunch, came back steaming two hours later. <laughs> <laughs> and he edited it down to like half an inch of stuff. And he goes, that, that's have you got, any, got anything else because that's not enough for a book oh yeah but he was right he was absolutely spot on yeah he said this this is just you know well how did you react to that were you a bit pissed off well luckily i'd had a few so it wasn't too bad <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know i i rem i vividly remember that and it was a good lesson it's in, a good book that was yeah the blame everyone else book mm. so that's 2003 and um it was a miraculous book because John said he'd design it, and his crew at Browns, eternally thankful for. The printer said he'd do it for free because he wanted to show off, and the paper company said, we want to work with the printer yeah. for our new stock. And the binder said, this is going to be really difficult to bind. We'll do it for free as well. So it's one of those things that just happened. It's one yeah. of the once-in-a-lifetime books. John's good at getting those deals, I reckon. It's brilliant, yeah. And it, you know, I look at the book now, and there's, I don't cringe because of good editing mm. whereas in the shed I can have dark moments <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the new book that you're doing though the you know the book on sobriety yeah so so do you are you doing that because you feel that the world needs that other people need help well is it a piss take on it or what, what no it? no it's a humorous look back at terrible situations I got myself in because of drinking mm -hmm. so all of the stories are about drink based not you know it's not tomfoolery or anything like that it's fucking you know shitting the bed and oh yeah terrible terrible stuff yeah and the lying and you know all that sort of stuff but it because i can't change that i've sort of turned it and this is not to get away from the responsibility of my past actions because mm -hmm. there are certain things that i can't really remember clearly and yeah. they haunt me they really do but um Besides those, the ones I do remember waking up in a small park in New York, not knowing where I was, just off mm. Bleecker Street. But it was locked. I was inside one of those little triangle oh, private yeah. gardens. Yeah. You know, I thought, how the hell did I get there? Can't remember. Overnight? The petrolly smell, taste in my mouth. Cocaine, so, you know. Yeah, I was there all night. And I went straight back to the hotel and raided the minibar. So th these are all told in very humorous ways. It's, I've written fifty thousand words, which is not very much. Mm. 
but I want it down, and I've illustrated it as well, so mm -hmm. I, I want it down to about 10,000 words, so it's an easy, it's in three parts. There's an introduction of why I wrote the book, mm -hmm. how, to, how not to be a drunk without um, AA, because there are other ways of doing it. And mm -hmm. I, no, I don't mean having a stomach staple or, you know, that drug that means that you throw up if you drink, but just mentally a way of not drinking again. Of all the stuff I've learned through the scientific side of everything and the therapeutic side of everything and how they marry together, uh, allow my day-to-day -day living without drinking. So it is, it's arrogant that for me to say I want to share it with people but there are people I know who can't stand AA and and I think that there are books where people have written where AA is you know pilloried and stuff like that which is fine I'm not really trying to do that I'm just trying to be gentle and just say there's a way of being sober that doesn't rely on AA doesn't rely on, on any sort of you know belief system it's just up to you as an individual it's your bloody fault you drank just mm -hmm. own up to it yeah, yeah. and don't hand you will over to God as you understand him. It's yeah. just, you know, him, Jesus, you know, no pun intended. It's just be good to yourself and look back. This is why the stories exist. Look back with humor at what you did as an idiotic human being. So you've extended your life by this change. You know, is it that you realize a new value of life or you valued life? I've always valued life, but I got it wrong, profoundly wrong for a while. And now um, it's not a case of I can see clearly now that, as I said before, you know, the hurdles and obstacles and, and horrible depressions are still there, but mm -hmm. I manage them much easier, much with more care, I suppose. Do you do you coach anybody, like any people that are have been in similar situations yeah. to help them through that? I'm not a sponsor, though, because that's... Being a sponsor, you have to take them through the AA yeah. book, and I don't want to do that. Because at the time, people can't see, they can't see the situation they're in potentially, but they yeah. can see the mess probably that. I'll always help people creating. who ask, always. Yeah, that's part of the deal, I think, because someone did it for me, and um, I'll always be eternally grateful. So um, I will do that, and I'll help people. Not through me being, you know, messianic. Just someone phoning me up and going, "Fuck, I'm in real. I've got. I don't know what to do." Well, you might get a few now on this podcast. <laughs> um, let's talk about kind of art versus illustration. Yeah. Or, or can can we talk about that? Yeah. Because like you call yourself an artist and an illustrator. Yeah. Aren't you an artist? Yeah. Or when when is art art and illustration illustration? Um, art is when you're not told how to do a drawing or not it's a lot of illustration to me in my illustration life is based on other people's ideas be it a text or be it okay. a meeting or be it a product you're trying to flog or an idea whereas my art which is 90% of what I do is um, stuff that I think and and feel compelled to put to paper or make a sculpture or photograph or make a book or whatever I use so when you left art college or illustration college did yeah. you did you did you was it 100 percent illustration or was it art then as well both both i've always done my own stuff um almost like an antidote to being art directed and this is not against art directors because art directors are brilliant and they have you know everyone has a role to play in the creative process when it comes from some sort of fruition to product mm. And if it's visual, if there's a visual side to it, and there normally is, and there's information, that has to be put into a, 
situation where um, or a form where it's understandable to every to as many people as possible. Yeah. And I think that I think that that is a skill in itself. Art, on the other hand, is just you can do what you want, you know. But were you early on in your career? You obviously needed to make a living. Were you doing more commission work versus art? I was definitely um, looking for illustration work. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I go and see all the mags and design companies with my portfolio, my oversized portfolio full of terrible drawings of you know charcoal drawings, life drawings, and things like that. Oh, and that cool. didn't get me anywhere. So I read lots of books and decided to uh, do a book cover for all the books that I liked, and then took a smaller portfolio around. And then people would say, you know, well, have you been, have you had these book covers, have they been published? I said, no, they're just my interpretation of, you know, Catch-22 or something. And uh, they go, well, well, come back when you've had something published. I said, but you're a publisher. So mm. why don't you commission me and then I won't yeah. have to come back. That's weird. Yeah, but that happens a lot. Was that nervousness of being the first to commission you or something? Maybe, maybe. It was difficult to start with, but then, you know, I just had shows in quasi-illustration galleries, you know, as well, mm. that, I don't know, I can't, you know, I, well, I'd find it, I'd run a gallery in Shoreditch before Shoreditch became cool, um, when there were no shops, there were just two pubs, and oh, apart from uh, the Trendy Furniture Shop, SCP, oh, yeah. um, that was always there. We were on Curtain Road, actually down the bottom of Curtain Road, I, I'd run a gallery, because landlords had, you know, were f much more imaginative then. Yeah. And uh, that was, I run it for a year, it was bloody brilliant. You know, Fantastic. All, everyone used to come, used to get, you know, huge amounts of beer and vodka. From, uh, <laughs> sponsors. Did, did you, because did it's interesting because when people kind of make, you know, make a living doing what they're doing, mm. like a bit like, I mean, you mentioned John Ellery. I mean, he's been on my podcast too, where he was obviously studied design. Uh, he's from Cornwall originally too, mm. or down that way. Yeah. Um, and he he manages to kind of do both. He does his business, which is the, the you know design, branding, communications, and he does his art. Yeah. Kind of parallel, but obviously it's very much linked. And I'm very intrigued by that. And obviously for you, you go from kind of I guess being very successful in terms of commercial illustrator. I was for a bit, but 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 then now you're doing ninety percent art. I always did, always. Okay, all right. I think I think I should have read more about your your past. No, no, not at all. I'm I'm known as you know. I'm, it's a kind of people go. Well, what are you? You know, and I just say, well, I I I probably make more money out of illustration over the years um, than my art practice, but I spend much more time just making pictures and doing mm -hmm. drawings and writing and you know all sorts of stuff that I have I'm compelled to do I can't help it yeah and also it's an antidote in some of the more stringent directed drawings or image making where you know you're told to change that bit and change that bit thank god for photoshop you know because yeah. before it was hell yeah, to redo it <laughs> and then the line wasn't right and stuff like that it was all very you know and my hero Saul, Saul Steinberg didn't like didn't like that either so no. I always uh, you know bless him for that he's incredibly difficult to work with apparently oh. I never met him I wish I had but um, I I think that I don't really know to be honest Vince I, you know I, I love when someone phones up and says we love what you did do you want to do some drawings for a product and I say what have you seen and they say this drawing and it's normally 
something that I've just done. Mm -hmm. So they say, we've got something like that for some packaging. And you go, okay. So you do that and it works a treat and you get paid handsomely for it. And they buy mm. the rights and everything's jolly. You know, it's brilliant. Mm. I love that. Yeah. But it's normally based on something that I've just done. You know, I did a watercolor of a, of a sardine, um, which I gave to my mate Dan. Um, <laughs> and it just says above the sardine, it's a watercolor. It's quite an accurate, sweet drawing of a sardine. The yeah. sardine looks a bit lonely. And above it, it just says, I'm just the sardine. <laughs> that's all it is so it's very plaintive and you know yeah. and I think about sardines because I love being underwater as yeah. well so I've got to think about fish yeah and through heart my agent my illustration agency yeah. um they saw that they saw um this because uh, I posted it they saw this entry so we want something like that I thought it was a sardine uh sorry yeah the sardine yeah for um for some pet food some really posh <laughs> cat food yeah in New York Oh yeah, all right. So we did it, and it was great. And it, what sardines it, or what was it? It was turkey. There was a turkey. There yeah. was uh, tuna, and chicken, and all, you know all sorts of. It was, it was. I think it's called. It was a slaughterhouse. It's like, it like pate for cats, you know. Yeah. Is it called cat person? Yeah, and um, and I really enjoyed doing it. It was quite a slog because you know American art direction, lots of people involved. It was a big brand, big company, sort of handling it so could you change the eyebrow on that person because there was other bits of drawings to do for the packaging and stuff like that um so after changing people's eyebrows and after changing the expression on some people's faces then i have to go and just do a bloody drawing about something else but my point ah. is all that work came from a painting of a sardine i did out just for the hell of it isn't that incredible yeah so i think that are um, they not seeing your other work they probably had, but that wouldn't um, have scared them off some of it. But yeah, maybe the Americans. Because I look, at, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I did. Um, talking of which, I did a, another show in America in this big loft space, and there are these big drawings, sort of thirty inches by forty inches, mostly black and white of kind of odd scenes, slaughter and torture and sex and mm -hmm. insects and you know all sorts of kind of creepy crawly stuff. But I put logos bottom right normally bottom left or bottom right of you know well-known ah, companies yeah uh, it's called fake advertising the whole thing is called fake advertising and um one american art director came up to me said you guys in in, in europe you're so far ahead of the game these are just incredible this these would never run in america <laughs> i said they're fake they're not real he went so these didn't exist and he said and i said no no these are just this is art oh this god but they're so accurate, they, you know, they kind of fell for it. We bought a couple after that. <laughs> I think I remember seeing that. It was a fantastic series. Um, so what's what, what, what's next? I mean, what do you, this book's coming out. When do you think it's going to be coming out? Don't know. Um, synopsis is... Self-publishing or have you found a publisher? No, I want a publisher. Okay, publishers Definitely. listening in. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, but I need to send out... I've, I've really struggled with the synopsis, which, again, I've got good mates who... Um, my friend Harry, who's at used to be at Sunday Times book section, he's just knows about words and you know mm -hmm. how frippery can get in the way and how abstracts don't work in a synopsis. So I've learned an, an awful lot about how to write clearly and objectively, but with humour at the same time and and try and get the tone of the book across. So that's just about done. So that's going out in the next few weeks, or I'm you know maybe wait till after Christmas, um, get that out. But that's the, the dream is and it's illustrated as well. So the very sort of normal the, the way I normally draw kind of quite linear 
um, drawings of situations I've found myself in mm. after you know a, a night on the sauce or a mm. week on on the vodka, and they're not pleasant, but it, because they're cartoons. Yeah. It, so are they animated? No, I mean that'd be nice. Have you ever tried? A, I've, a I've just done. Board? Yeah, I've just done. I've just learned how to animate in Photoshop. And, uh, That'd be for, really interesting for a mate of mine. Um, I'll show you afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and also just in terms, of, have you ever done? Oh, I can imagine just like you walking through town, or, or you know, a, a, a program or a film on your observations. Yeah, I did that for um, Samsung. Oh, did you? Yeah, um, sort of a morning in the life, and they. You remember those little notebooks pre iPad? Mm. Yeah, you know, got a little pencil and. Yeah, yeah. They were crap, really, and they put words into my mouth. They, sorry, they had, Samsung. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Samsung, but they you were. You got paid a lot for that. No, I got paid bugger all, really, <laughs> and uh, they and they also misquoted me and said, you know, who needs notebooks when you've got the Samsung, whatever it was called, and that pissed me off. Oh, you know. Yeah. So what happened? Nothing. Well, well you just walking around town drawing. Yeah, I was on the bus saw. drawing people and looking at that, ah. and, you know, and they, the drawings were right. You probably find them online, and uh, but they misquoted me. Because actually, drawing on paper is the, is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous feeling. I've got an iPad, and I don't get along with it. I've tried and tried and tried. Take it on holiday, two weeks, get into it. I just is it. I mean, obviously, it's low tech, isn't it? It's so simple. Is it a blunt pencil and a piece of paper um, and an idea? Well, that's the thing. If you've got three different sorts of paper and six different drawing implements, the permutations of what you use. If you've got you know three ingredients on a page, so to speak, mm -hmm. the permutations are immense. A red biro line gives you a different feeling from you know a Posca red line and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it, it, I think a lot of the drawings that I do are as much about feeling for me when mm -hmm. I do them. So if I make a choice to choose that slightly softer blue as a lead, the lead in the pencil is slightly softer than a similar blue over there, then I'll use a Prismacolor because it suits my mood. So it's very self-indulgent, stuff like that, but it makes me feel good. As a kid, were you drawing all the time? Yes. Um, another great thing about my dad is that, you know, the usual kid's thing is, Dad, Dad, what shall I draw? He got a bit bored with me asking. And he said, <laughs> go into the lounge and draw the carpet. And we lived in this, yeah. <laughs> the carpet was beige, 1960s beige carpet. I went, it's all. It, he goes, draw it. Just see how see how far you go. And I just got down, you know, lying down and started drawing the carpet and the fibers, all the fibers and stuff like that. And it drove me insane. I'll never forget <laughs> that. <laughs> it's a good lesson in yeah. how to look at things. And then that really inspired the drawings I'm doing recently, which are about particle movement, subatomic particle movement, and the movement of galaxies. Uh, we're in the middle of it, so we can look in a spiral going inwards, so to speak, to subatomic, you know, quarks basically, and we can look out to as far as we were kind of what physics and our eyes and our brains can compute in the way that it's all accelerating using redshift going outwards in every direction. That mm. freaks me out. So and I'm in the middle, in my shed, doing drawings with burnt wood on paper which is made of wood trying to enjoying the trajectory of uh, tra trajectory of subatomic particles and galactic movement how about that 
Well, there's something in, the, in your work that's around massively around reduction. Minim, you know, complex, as you just talked about, such complex uh, observations and situations that you make it incredibly simple and understandable. Like, how do you do that? Well, like a fine whiskey, like distillation. Well, it's just your lines are very simple lines that just yeah, it, it, yeah. It's you know, difficult. we live in a very complex world. We're highly bombarded with all kinds of visuals, sophisticated visuals that you never know where are real or not real. Yeah, um, there's a complexity to our lives that there's some that's refreshing in terms of your. It's in, they're intelligent, of course, observations and but simply executed. It's, yeah, it's really. I mean, it's really, really difficult. You know, to, to try and get that perfect line, whether even if it's written, you know, something you overhear and you edit to make it sound clear or, or hit its mark better, like a good script and a bad script. You know, just the use of a comma or a use of the word. You know, the difference between nice and pleasant. You know, that makes a huge difference in what you're trying to say and. Same with line, same with drawing a line, you know, I think. Um, someone, you remember Mel Kalman? Mm. Yeah, he was asked, well, he gave a talk down at my college in Exeter. And he was asked, you know, anyone could do that, it's only a few lines. You know, I, you know, he said, yeah, but I've been practicing for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, it's a cliche, but that's why it's a cliche. Yeah, I guess the strength is, is not only the the illustration but the words that you put with it and so that's yeah incredibly powerful the that observation yeah and that were you good at language english at school not really yeah what well, i was called um i remember in the changing room we were playing football um and i used the word underestimated and they all laughed at me and said shut up dictionary <laughs> hilarious even my own teammates you know uh, my dad like you know like books and so did i yeah yeah it's um like middlemarch for example george Eliot. i can't read it because it's too brilliant do you know what i mean it's, yeah. it's i find it i find the beauty of the words and her use of words and structure gets in the way of her wisdom for me i have to keep attempting one day i'll get it but it's you know I, i've Silas Minor, I could read, but Middlemarch, I just find I find it overwhelmingly brilliant. Mm. I think if if you were born, you know, I don't know, if you started started doing what you're doing ten years ago, would you be working with, you know, a a, a pencil, a pen, and a piece of paper? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, people do. I go to art colleges when I teach. You know, give give a. I don't really teach, but give a talk. Mm -hmm. um, People still show me notebooks, and uh, that's always I, I find that very reassuring because yeah, that's good. I mean, the drawing. If you were to ask, you know, all my mates who draw to go out and draw, you know, six people who who kind of move them in some way, you know, you know who the artist was, not just because of the the choice of person that they draw, but because simply because of the line, yeah, you know, their personal yeah style. But just yeah, exactly. So with an iPad, I don't think you can get the same as that. I think Hockney tried, and I still think it's not like his draw his drawings on paper or his etchings. Paul, do you think you've designed your life? 
Um, Recently, perhaps, the last seven years. Depends how you look at it, really. <laughs> yeah, it depends how you look at it, uh, the whole kind of philosophical thing about what now is and whether it's deterministic or whether you know you've actually had a free will and made decisions mm. I, it's i find i find the whole intellectual and philosophical side to life incredibly exciting and it gets me absolutely nowhere because there's so many different ways of looking at it yeah, yeah. so i wouldn't s i don't know is the answer um i really don't know i've had something to do with it vince yeah you absolutely have <laughs> and you've influenced so many other people too which is super amazing i don't know about that but it's um oh, that, thank you but it's um i think getting over the fear of being alive is uh, is brilliant and I, I i think i can say that i actually made an attempt to do that so that's that i'm proud of that and i think so you designed it in that sense i think your new book uh if that can help do mm. the same thing for others that would be incredible wouldn't it well, hopefully, yeah. You know, it's um, I'm not banking on anything. I, you know, if 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 people read it and a couple of people email me and just say that really, you know, that's really funny. It really helped me out. You know, not to take it so seriously and and actually laugh at what you know how you were, mm. uh, but also you know understand the seriousness of <laughs> the decision to have yet another one. You know, yeah, to open and, that bottle and, of sherry in the morning. And actually, what life looks like once you pass through that. Yeah, and, and how how better life can be. Everything improves. Everything I yeah. think, even fear improves. Is a better form of fear mm. uh, in sobriety for me. Yeah. You know. Paul, it's been fantastic to have on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you, Vince. And thank you for the magazine Counter Culture. It's all right. Um, a great body of work. Was was that an exhibition recently? Yeah, as well? that was in Jealous Gallery. Um, it's um, where we. It's it's a sort of reflection on where humans meet when they don't necessarily want to. So like kiosks mm. and queues, lines, and and you said the post office is your favourite place. Why yeah. is that? Uh, it it, sort of, it can go off in there sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> People are very uh, honest are about how they feel. Yeah, so you get really choice overheads in there. Is that where you get your supplies from too? The Pins, the biros and stuff. I find most of them. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, I've got. They're everywhere. Yeah, betting shot. I've got a load of betting shot pens. You know, but um, no, post office are, are good. There's one the other day. The, the, the person behind the till said, um, "But no, this is written in Arabic. I know it, you're trying to get it to Tehran, but it's written in Arabic. And you have to go through Kent before it goes overseas." <laughs> My people, my people speak Arabic. He said, "Yeah, but we don't here in Britain." Oh yet, my you know. god! You have to get it translated, and then when it gets as far as where people understand Arabic, I don't know how far that would be. <laughs> Beyond Athens, she said. <laughs> oh my god! And he couldn't. He just. It was, it was such a sweet because they were trying to help. They were really oh trying to help. Oh my god! Were you just? What were you doing? Just I was laughing. standing behind. No, I was just thinking. I hope this works out well. I hope he understands. <laughs> That he's got to translate it into English <laughs> to start with, so it can get beyond Kent. Oh my God! I could just imagine that—the frustration that poor guy yeah. trying to explain. My, and he said something like, "My people are older than your people," you know, <laughs> Mesopotamia. Oh my God! In Persia, you no, know, that's right. He said Persia. Yeah. Do you rush home and do a, a on the spot? A, keep a notebook. Keep a notebook at all times. Oh and my never, God. never not write down something, even if you think it might be cheesy. Just that write it down. So that's my fun. advice to everyone: write it down, because you'll forget it. And um, I always say this. Uh, I think it was Berlioz, the composer, 
conductor said, there's nothing sadder than a person who wakes up in the morning forgetting the brilliant idea they had the night before. Yeah. And I think that that's horribly true. Yeah. Cool. That's good, Paul. Thank you. Thanks, Vince. Thanks for listening in today's episode of Design Your Life with my good mate and British artist and illustrator, Paul Davis. Tune in to the next episode where I catch up with Dr. Esther Sternberg, the globally acclaimed expert on well-being in the workplace and one of the women who has changed the face of medicine. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.